This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. Welcome to the Crafting Character Podcast. Steve Carter here, and you know why I do this podcast, because I care about good preaching, and I want your preaching, your craft of teaching communication and get better, but you hear me say it every single episode. What I want more is your character to lead the way, and so I'm excited because I get to the privilege to kind of curate conversations with pastors that I just deeply, deeply respect and love. People who I think are really, really gifted at the craft, but people from my experience, my own personal experience, I think that their character is leading the way. And I couldn't do this podcast without my good friends at Preaching Today. We share a real similar ethos in the fact that we care about the craft and character. We care about preaching and the soul as as often uh, preaching today says it. And they are such big supporters of this podcast and they have such incredible content on their website that they have made a deal for each and every one of us. And that is a discount, a deal. Who doesn't like a deal? I like a deal. And so they've got, you know, 14,000 sermon illustrations for members. They've got thousands of sermons available. They've got like soul care articles written by some incredible voices, preaching hacks. I mean, it's just, it's an amazing, amazing website. You can go to orderptnow.com slash cc30 and they will give you 30% off a year long membership just because you listen to the Craft and Character Podcast. Also, you know my hope, my dream is to get people like you, the listener, not just to hear this podcast, but to get into a living room with some incredible coaches. Coaches like Nancy Beach and and Mark Moore and Dave Stone, Dick Alexander, to get into living rooms, not just with coaches, but also with faculty, these mentors, people like Rich Velotis and and Chris Brown, uh, different voices like Daniel Strickland, uh, Derwin Gray. I mean, voices that I believe can help you And it's not like a conference where you're going to like listen with thousands in an auditorium. This is a chance where it's like you and eight other teachers getting actual access to this person's life, actual access to them sharing their trade secrets with you. Friends, I'm telling you, these year-long cohorts through the Ascent Leader are incredible. You can go to theascentleader.org and I'm telling you, sign up. We got this next one dropping in June. Mark Moore's the coach. Rich Velotis, myself, Chris Brown, we're a part of it. Man, it's going to be awesome. I hope that you will sign up. And then lastly, our last sponsor is Food for the Hungry, fh.org. I love these people. And they are just doing amazing work, especially with what's happening um, in Ukraine, refugees rolling into Poland. I mean, millions and millions of people. And we as pastors we can actually 
kind of really allow our churches, our people to, to help out. And FH has, has made that really, really easy. Uh, you can go to fh.org to learn more. Um, but friends, I'm excited today. We get to, to listen and learn from the wisdom of Sean Palmer. Uh, Sean Palmer is a pastor at Ecclesia Church in Houston. Um, he is in, an incredible preacher and communicator. Uh, he does coaching. He does writing. Uh, he's got a new book that is coming out that you're going to hear me talk about it over and over again. Um, it, it, it's it's really a book that I think every communicator is going to need to read. So get ready. But like we often do, I want you to hear a clip of my friend, Sean Palmer, teaching so that you get a sense of his sound and then we will dive right in. Hear this. There is a great disappointment when people feel stuck, like there's not a way out. And I think that's one of the things that I love about Joseph's story that we've been walking through the last several weeks here at Ecclesia is that Joseph really does have a broad range of experiences in his life. It's not all up, it's not all down, it's dynamic. But when you're not up and when you're not down, oftentimes what you feel in that middle is just stuck like, you begin asking yourself, is this the best that life has to offer? Is this as good as it's going to get? So last week, Joseph had risen to great prominence in the house of an Egyptian official named Potiphar. But he is accused by his wife of trying to seduce her, and Joseph ends up in jail. Now, this is a kid who when he was 17 had dreams that his family, his brothers, his father and mom, that they would all bow down to him at one point, that he had great visions of his own grandeur in life. And not only was he sold into slavery, but now he's in jail. He's in prison. And this is how Genesis picks up his story in Genesis 40. It says, sometime later. So he's already been in jail for a little bit. The cupbearer of the king and his baker both offended their lord, who is the king, the pharaoh. Pharaoh was angry with his two attendants, so he put the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard put Joseph in charge of the men, and Joseph took care of them as he did the others. They remain there in custody for some time. So again, like what we find, like Joseph is in prison, but he's in the captain of the guard's prison. So when you hear that, what this is closer to is kind of like a gentleman's prison. Yeah, there aren't dogs and gates and high barbed wire fences. This is kind of where the officials of prominent people in the Egyptian government, where when they offend someone, this is where they go to jail. And what's happened? is the same thing that happened at Potiphar's house, that Joseph is in charge of all of those men. But just like being a slave, when Joseph was a slave and he was the leader of all the slaves, a slave is a slave is a slave, and the same thing for a prisoner. A prisoner is a prisoner is a prisoner. 
And that's where he is. Sean Palmer, thanks for joining us on the Crafting Character Podcast. I, I, I'd love just to begin. We just got to hear a clip of your teaching um, on the kind of idea of Joseph and this whole kind of message on stuck and what it means to be stuck. Give us a little backstory on this teach and what you were hoping to accomplish. Yeah, so we were in a teaching series on the on the book on the character of Joseph, right? And so um, I'm landing at this passage where Joseph interprets the dreams, right? And so Joseph has these dreams when he's a 17 year old kid and goes through all that Potiphar's house and ends up um, in prison with these two other guys and interprets their dreams. And like I'm a person, and you probably are too, Steve, like this, where I really like forward movement, but like at the beginning of that chapter and the end of that chapter. Joseph is still in prison, right? So if you didn't know anything else of the rest of that story, and it seems like the reason that we chose Joseph was because of the ups and downs of his life. And we've been through so much the last two years with COVID. And we felt like, uh, matter of fact, we had to insert this teaching because we felt like we were going to be like full throttle back in terms of our community life in January. Then Omicron hit in December And like we had to take this huge step back, slow things down, because suddenly people weren't as ready to re-engage with life. And so, man, all of those ups and downs and some of us, like two years, like our lives have been on pause in some ways for two years. Um, For instance, like my family, we'd planned this Paris vacation. Girls always, I have two daughters, and they had always wanted to go. And like, we still haven't taken that trip. And all the other things that we still haven't done. And that's where life is sometimes. Like, and then how do you move through that with integrity, with joy, um, still um, pushing back against compassion fatigue, all of the things that we have to deal with emotionally when we expected to move forward and we find ourselves in the same place we were, even when we've done good and been a person of integrity and like didn't cause any of this. Like, and like, there's this line in, in that chapter um, and, and in Joseph's story where Joseph says, like, I didn't cause any of this. And I'm a person that really believes in personal responsibility. And most, a good bit of your life is, you know, your own choices. Like you chose to eat that. You chose not to go to the gym. You chose to buy that house. You chose to marry that person. But there are some things like you can't choose and you don't choose and you still have to suffer them or enjoy them depending on what it is. Right. And so I wanted to, for our community to spend some time um, just grounding and normalizing the fact that life isn't always up and to the right and neither is it down to the left either. Right. That sometimes you're just in the same spot and that's okay. You can, you can be a woman, you can be a man of God in that, in that space. You know, I, I I love that you say that because, you know, I think for so many preachers and communicators, they, all they want to do is, is paint a picture of up and to the right but I think it's pastoral mm-hmm. malpractice, but it's really hard to, to navigate the right language, the right tone, the right spirit to help people recognize, yeah, there are things that are your responsibility. And there are some things that just happen that are not fair, that are not right, that right. are, right, that are like not congruent to the heart of God. Talk about how, when you are writing a message like this, that you, you know, you're going to have to shepherd pastor people into um, seeing something true to the heart of the text, but that's kind of different than they've been taught. Because sometimes I think people actually believe, man, if my life isn't up into the right, 
what's wrong with me? And like you said, Joseph is in prison and he, he is like in where God wants him to be, to do what God has him to do, but it doesn't feel like it. Talk about how you just craft the right sentences, the right phrases. What's your prep process to do that and do that well for the people of Ecclesia? Yeah, you know, for me, Steve, um, in terms of prep, I just really like sitting with a text. And like, you know, one of the things I talk with my speaking clients about, especially the, the preachers particularly, is just to do what the text does and to trust the text. Um, and some of the things you have to just be super obvious and plain about, like saying things like, you know, some of us were raised to believe, or I was raised to believe, or our temptation is to think, or if you listen to motivational speakers all the time, and those sort of contrapuntals that come into the speaking moment where you say, like, I know this is the expectation, but you know from your own experiences, one of my, one of my big beliefs as a communicator is to make your hearer the expert. Like, you don't need me to tell you or you know from your own experience. Like, and so I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to get people to buy into a belief system that I have. I'm trading on what you already know is true. If you already know intuitively that life is not fair because everyone has been mistreated at some point, and you've come to, <laughs> you've come to worship believing all these years that it is fair or that you did something wrong when it is, it's, it's a relief to hear someone say, your experience, like, is true to life. And this is how I know it's true to life. Because in the text, it's, you know, like in the end of that Joseph story, you know, it doesn't change. The next chapter begins, you know, two years later, right? Um, and that's a, that's a long time to be, to be in one place in, a, in the American, in the Western American mindset, to be in one place and not have some forward movement. That feels like an eternity. Um, but the older you get, you realize how short of a time two, two years is. <laughs> so I try to lean into what people know to be true. And then when it comes to language, like uh, you know this from writing too, and people who, it's like, if you can set up an avatar, like look out into your congregation as you are writing a sermon and say like, okay, these are the people who are hearing me. Because you know, one of my fundamental beliefs, right, is the speech act preaching is about the hearer, not the speaker. So you're there in service of them, not in service of your own ego. Or It's never about what you want to say. It's about what they need to hear. Uh, so if you can create several people or think of several people that inhabit your church as you're writing, and then write for them like what they need to hear. And it's like, oh, you know what? If I say this this way, that's going to be really hurtful to her because she has this experience that I, and that I know about. So I need to come up with a different way to say this that honors who she is and her experience, but also um, honors these other people and their experience. And so it takes a lot of care. And oftentimes you have to say like, this isn't true for everybody. But what's generally true. So it's very, it becomes very proverbial in your teaching. Like, this is generally true. Or, or um, you know, it doesn't happen like this all of the time. 
And when you're just, you're just acknowledging people's experience um, or the way that they've interpreted their experience. And that takes pastoral care, like, right? So you, have to, as a, as a speaker, you have to go in like knowing, right? What, um, what's going on in the life of your congregation and what's going on in their lives. Yeah. So if you just come down with a pronouncement from on, uh, that's going to be pretty endangering to some people's spirit. That's, that's really, really good. And it's one of my favorite things about anytime I listen to you preach um, is just your intentionality. Um, and you know, you, you're, you're dropping a book in a couple of weeks and um, I'm, I'm almost halfway through it. And I, I just absolutely love this concept and it really plays off this theme of this, this title speaking by the numbers and making sure that your hearers can actually understand, like you're speaking to them. Like you, you have this conscious understanding of who is in the room and how to actually message something so that they can hear it. And I love what you just said. It's not about like our personal ego to like, this is what I have to say. This is what needs to be said. Me coming down from the mountain. It's about them. It's about them hearing it. Talk about the heart of this book, because I think every preacher needs to read this book. I think if you read this book, it's going to give you profound levels of insight into how to reach your congregation, how to pastor them well, but it's also going to give you insight into the way that they think, the way that they understand the world. So talk about this book. I'm such a fan of you, but I am such a fan of what this book can be for preachers, even business leaders who listen to this podcast. Like this is going to be an important read. Sean, talk to us about it. Well, that's, thank you for that. That's very kind. Well, it started with this intuition well, maybe not an intuition. I think I was more taught this. But again, Fred Craddock says the first, the, the first task of a speaker is to gain a hearing, yeah. right? Um, so to be heard is really important. I think part of that also is um, just some of my own personal history. But for nearly a decade now, I have been a student of the Enneagram. And at the heart of the Enneagram is this idea that all people have three intelligence centers, thinking, feeling, and doing. And in life, every person over relies on one of those. Either they over rely on thinking, over rely on feeling, over rely on doing. And they, that becomes dominant in them. But it's really like a three-legged stool. But when you become dominant in one center of intelligence, that means you become repressed in the other, in one of the others. So what, I was trying, what I'm trying to do in speaking by the numbers is saying, when you look out, um, at your hearers, whether it's in a business setting, a uh, conference, if you're in a boardroom, if you're a, a teacher in a classroom, if you're in a church, if you just divide the people up in thirds, like some folks just want information, information, information. They are thinking dominant and they won't believe you unless you have, they feel like you've done some good thinking, right? And others are doing dominant. They just want to do, 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 do. Like, what are we supposed to do? There's people who come to you after every sermon and we're like, well, what are we supposed to do? Or it's the preacher who's like, I'm going to give you three to-dos, right? And because, and they have concocted an idea that every sermon has to have to-dos in it, though not every sermon in scripture has a to-do. Like every sermon in God's is a proclamation, right? About Jesus's encounter with the person who is giving a proclamation. And sometimes it's repent and be baptized. And sometimes like, this is just, this is just how it is now. So 
And then others are feeling dominant. Like if you are, I remember a preacher I knew years ago who got criticized from some folks in his congregation. And one of the ladies just said, you know, if he would just get teary every now and then in a sermon, like she's like, couldn't believe him. Right. But that's just her own feeling dominance. It didn't have anything to do with him. Okay. So knowing that, then we begin the task of writing, delivering sermons, knowing that some people have to have what's dominant in them addressed in order to move to the next step. But they also need what's repressed in them, thinking, feeling, or doing, addressed too, to become more even people. And so what the book does is like it describes um, how all these people work, and then it gives a model for speaking to that intelligence center. So if you were, and like, fortunately for me, like I did a, uh, I spoke at a gathering for Texas mayors, uh, fire chiefs, police chiefs, those kinds of people. And so I was like, okay, generally thinking, these are folks who have high beliefs in things like authority, like no, no, no audience is monolithic. Um, so I'm going to try one style for this group. I spoke to a class of incoming freshmen. I said, I'm going to try a style um, given where they are in life about, you know, that's a very doing time in life, right? So like, let's lean into that. And then working with the reality that in these groups, all of these intelligence centers are represented. And so how do you preach? How do you speak? How do you teach? How do you lead the board? knowing that, oh man, like we got some feelers in here. And if they don't, if they don't intuitively feel something about where we're headed, like they're going to be resistant. Yeah. Um, we got some thinkers. So they, they're going to have to have a certain amount of data to believe that I'm competent. And we've got some folks who just, when they see a problem, they just want to do something about it, like right then. And we need to bring all of that together, which for, um, which some preachers aren't going to like, Right, because that means that probably you're going to need to share your stage with more people who are in a different, yeah. <laughs> different place than you to move your congregation. And some preachers will like it. They're like, I'm glad to like give up a few Sundays a year um, to, to some other folks. So that's what I'm trying to do in the book, and and using the lens of the Enneagram and what's called Enneagram stances um, to help people think through that. So when you um, were kind of trying to break down your congregation at Ecclesia. Did you, did you ever do something? Cause in my mind, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm reading through this and I'm thinking maybe I one Sunday just do a weekend where I talk about thinking, feeling, and doing, and I'm like, Hey, if any of you are primary thinkers, like this is like, when you come and you hear a message, stand up. I just want you all to see each other. Hey, how do you primary feelers, primary doers? <laughs> like I, how did you, how did you get to the point where you understood like, man, we're 33, 33, 33, or man, we are 60% doers at Ecclesia. Like, did you, did you kind of exegete your congregation? Yes, but through a couple of different processes, right? Okay. So one is just the exegeting of a congregation that pastors always need to have them process, right? Um, so I got to tell pastors, a week's worth of lunches will give you a year's worth of service. Like if you just sit with people and hear where they are and work through it. The idea for this was actually supposed to be, uh, and I tell the story in the book, I, I 
preached a sermon and one of our congregants came up to me after and she says, that's the most Enneagram three sermon I've ever heard. And and I'm an Enneagram three. So I was like, okay, I want to go sit and look at this sermon. And it is, it started with what I just shared with you a little bit ago about like choices. And, and so I started thinking, how often am I doing that? Yeah. That I am, I'm, essentially preaching to myself and people like me. So then I began just very deliberately asking people who I knew were different Enneagram numbers, how, how what they were hearing landed with them. And then I went back and chronicled feedback that I've gotten over the last four years from people knowing their Enneagram number and the kinds of things that they said, like where, where it was that something like, touched them or moved them. Um, so, you know, I'm the teaching pastor at Ecclesia. Uh, our founding pastor, Chris, um, he gives most of the uh, calls, like when we were going to do something, right? Like, and and it, because of his Enneagram number, he's very doing focused. So what we've noticed over the last uh, years is that our covenant cards where people, you know, sign up and want to be members of the church, like he has the biggest swings, and we notice like when we ask the church to do something, we have a bunch of people who say, I want to be a part of that, right? And they sign covenant card. Mine are steady, almost within two numbers of each other every week, like the weeks that I preach. And I don't think that's a, I don't think that's really indicative of much, except we, I'll say all that to say, we are heavy on the doing side yep. because the founding pastor of this church is dominant in doing. Right. Um, and I know that just from spending time with people and what they respond to and how our church responds. And so you can actually begin to listen to uh, criticisms and compliments. And your church is actually telling you what, how it is they're resonating. So I was, I served at a church, you know, over a decade ago that was very heavily thinking church. Uh, I kind of called it PBS church. It was, it was oftentimes hard to get them to do something. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, older, lots of uh, folks in the business world. But just paying attention to what the congregation responds to. And then, because we were, I was writing this in the midst of COVID, um, I just started texting people in my church like crazy and having conversations over Zoom about all of it. So it's just like visiting with them. It's like, how does this land with you? When you hear this, how does it land? Because we were going to, my wife and I were going to have Enneagram dinners and we were going to have folks who are all in the same stance come over and talk and shit. But then COVID hit and we couldn't do that. So I said, well, we can still have the conversations. We just have to have them over text and Zoom. But that sort of intentionality about listening to what people were actually saying. If you listen closely, most folks are telling you already. Yeah. Um, because our the motivations are um, compulsive, right? And that's just, I am me, I am me, I am me all of the time. That's so, it's really, really interesting because, you know, for almost seven years, I was at Willow's teaching pastor there. And, you know, I came out of a, a congregation where um, it was like really Holy Spirit led. So the preacher would set up like a response time and the worship leader would like move people from second to third to home plate kind of thing. And then I was, before that was at a church in Grand Rapids where, you know, it was really artistic and you would end each sermon with a question. There was no application. So I, those were like my 
training grounds. And I come to Willow and my teaching wasn't hitting. I like mm. the first 30 minutes, I felt like people were with me, but the way that I closed, I like lost it. And then I added application because it was a 85% doing church, you know? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden people are like, man, these are, these are really great talks. And I'm like, all it was, was the doing, but you right. could see that there were parts that were repressed that had mm-hmm. not actually been exercised. And that's a really, really interesting thing. How, when a church is so top heavy with maybe a thinking or feeling or, you know, doing, how did you, how do you engage the repressing area to like get that part into the gym? And you, you mentioned Mm -hmm. one, like bringing in other voices that can actually do, but are there other ways that you would say to try and have a more healthy, holistic church? Right. So, um, First of all, it is bringing in other voices. Um, and I went, you know, when I moved to Houston, moved back to Houston, I went, Steve, from preaching like 47 weeks, weekends of the year to like 25 or 26. And um, like, it's awesome. I think everybody should do that. Um, and because you just to get some other voices in the, and the more churches particularly do this. And if you're a conference planner, um, if you're going on a business to retreat, like um, look at who all is presenting or who all has a public role and try to find folks. And it takes time like yeah. for a congregation to, uh, um, to build that muscle. But also a thing you can do is alternative um events and avenues for people so everything can't happen from the pulpit right and um i'm a big believer in in the power of preaching but i also know it has its limits and it has its purposes and so what we see now a lot of the time is people saying preaching doesn't do x y or z so we need to do you know these other things and decentralized preaching it's like no not really preaching wasn't designed to do x y and z so, so it's not that it can't do it. It just wasn't supposed to. But, um, you know, alternative things where folks who are, like, say, like feeling dominant. Um, man, feelings cost everybody energy, for instance. So, like, if you get, um, I, I, I knew a really great man. Um, his name, uh, some folks will know, is, is a famous Edward Fudge. He wrote this book, Fire That Consumes. Um, they did a movie about his life. It's kind of one of the... Um, uh, spent his life writing and researching, you know, eternal conscious torment and all of that. And later in his life, like when he would, when he would lead the church in communion, like he would, he would cry every time. And like, and cause he really, like you could tell in that he deeply believed this and it was so meaningful to him and people loved it. And it was so meaningful but it, it's also very tiring for people. Um, so alternative settings where folks who need that can express it and folks who struggle with it can engage it and know that it'll end, right? <laughs> That's the thing with people like me who are feeling repressed. Like, it's kind of like, okay, I can do this, but when's it going to be over, right? <laughs> um, or how you augment your worship time. I just think if we start thinking creatively about Man, you know, if our if our primary teaching pastors are are all thinking dominant, right? They're going to get up there, and in the 
by the time they're done in 25, 30 minutes, what we're going to have is a bibliography that we're going to have to go research because she or he's going to quote 15 books and are, you know, like we need to let the valve out. We need to you know, open the valve in some other places for people who aren't wired that way. Yeah. Um, so, and each church is going to be different. Each business is going to be different um, in that because you have to start with where your people are. Do, do you have on, you know, your prep, like this is a thinking this is a feeling, this is a primary doing message. Like, mm-hmm. is that language that's inside your teaching team or is it just for you? Um, it's definitely just for me. I mean, okay. it's definitely for me. And there are actually sections in each message where I'm very conscious. Like, have I left out thinking? Have I left out feeling? Have I left out doing? Yeah. Um, and then to go back and, um, to say like, oh, you know what? There are some people, like, I'm going to talk about, um, you know, the, the, the message that we started with, uh, with the stuff message. Like I got to the end of that and the, it felt like something was missing. And so I tell the story of Anthony Ray Hinton, who I just ha- I met and interviewed last year. And like, it was a feeling moment. And we ended in a feeling moment, right? We didn't end in a doing moment. Um, because I wanted people to connect with that idea of being stuck. And he was on death row for a crime he didn't commit for 30 years. If you do any expositional stuff in your sermon, you've probably got the thinking part covered. <laughs> it's the doing and the feeling. And that's where don't leave out exposition because you think it's going to be boring. I mean, I find speakers all the time. It's like, oh, I can't do this. People are going to be bored by it. I find people are not bored by it. If we get any feedback consistently, Folks want more of that sort of data stuff. Um, and at Nicosia, what we primarily do, primarily try to do with our preaching is storytelling. Like, so preaching is storytelling. So a lot of do's are implied. There are feelings built in. Um, but we have to, I have to be very much more deliberate about the thinking pieces because, but there again, like every group, every community is going to be different in where they're dominant and where you have to come back in and say, okay, I know instinctively I'm going to do this or we're going to do this. This other piece we have to be a little bit more uh, careful about. This is so helpful because, you know, as I started reading the book and, you know, started going back and listening to some of your messages, like that was one of the things I started to look through and just going, man, this seems like this, this would be in that thinking block. This would be in that feeling kind of container. This would be in that doing. And it's been, you know, if any of you are listening to this, like, I think this is something that you can easily put into practice this coming weekend and in your prep for your next teach. And it's even on me and my, my like wall for my teaching. Now I've just kind of put like T F and D and I'm just kind of mm-hmm. looking at those parts and just kind of going, okay, when I, when I break down that Hebrew word, there's some, there's some, you know, exegesis, there's some, there's kind of this, this thinking piece, but is this, is this story primary driving towards an emotion or and feeling to have people mm-hmm. sit in the tension or the pain, or is it actually inviting people to go do something. And, and sometimes I'm not clear with that. I think I'm trying to do multiple and it just, it really helped me to get clearer with this is why I'm telling that story to get them hopefully to feel this or do this. And, and to be aware of, again, just the people who, the way that you write and the way that you teach on this is what I so appreciate about you is again, you're not just doing it to say, you're doing it in a way with such intentionality and, 
and consideration to go, how will they receive this? How will they hear this? How will they kind of like allow this to kind of get into their bones? Um, I'm curious for you, I have my own like thoughts, but what do you think are the top three Enneagram numbers that are in the majority of congregations in the U.S.? Oh, wow. oh, in the majority of congregations? Well, so, you know, the school that I'm from would say that there are more sixes than any other number. Like That's just what I would in Germany on the planet. Yep. So you'd have to say six. Yep. Um, I would then say, um, damn, this man, that would be really tough because I'm trying to think through who I know. Um, I know a lot of ones. Okay. And I know a lot of eights and twos. But I, I mean, I would just, um, I think there are a lot of threes, sevens, and eights in in the pastorate, in ministry, like who are pastors. But I'm guessing a lot of ones, I would say six ones, six ones and twos, like if I were just to, yeah. to guess. Yeah, that's uh, good. All being led by threes and sevens and eights. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, no, that's that's so good. Um, okay, so the the book comes out on May tenth. Just just talk a little bit about it. Like I'm, I again, I think, I really, really think that this is going to be a book that pastors, communicators are just going to keep coming back to. Maybe just you know the genesis of this idea. Where where were you when this this kind of I got to write this book, and then what your hopes for are it. Yeah, well, I, as you know, I do speaking coaching and I just, I love public speaking and I love preaching as a particular act in the public speaking space. And I'm always wanting to get better. I, like, I, um, you know, just a quick story. Like, I knew a guy like 20 years or so ago and he was getting some, he was getting some criticism at his church about his preaching and he was very hurt and stung by it. And, and I think rightfully so. But his response, at least to me, kind of in a moment of vulnerability, was like, like I've been preaching this way for 30 years. Like, I preach the way I preach. And I, I appreciate that, you know, like, because we are who we are. And, uh, but at the same time, it's like, oh, I don't ever want to be back. I don't ever want to be done getting better because I'm, I want to represent God in the kingdom. With, and I want to leverage those gifts as much as I can. And it really it really bothered me. Like when this church member was like, that was the most Enneagram three sermon um, that I'd ever heard. Cause I thought, what if I'm missing people and I don't have to be, um, what if there were, there were a process that I could engage in that would help me communicate more holistically to the entire community and you know, have all of us be a better community and live happier, better, more faithful lives. So that's what got me onto it. And since the Enneagram had been the best tool that I'd come across for interpersonal work, for my own spiritual development, and it is a tool, it's not like from, you know, it's not like the Ten Commandments, like you don't have to do it, right? <laughs> um, then I thought maybe there's some wisdom there that would help me to be more whole. And so my, my wish is that, you know, teachers, school teachers, friends, anyone who deals or communicates with people would read this and develop more tools and skills in their communicating quiver. 
like, oh, I can do that. Like I'm, and it become intuitive um, because we all get better that way. So when folks leave an event, an engagement with you, they feel seen and spoken to and heard and not like it's about the person on the platform or with them with the, the microphone because it's not it's about the person it's about the hearer so beautiful you know one of my favorite passages uh when it comes to the craft of communication is in first timothy 4 and and paul is like just downloading on timothy some stuff about character but then he says hey like give be diligent in the matters of your gifting give yourself fully to them and then he has this line so that everyone may see your progress and I, and, and I, I think that's something that, you know, what you kind of articulated is that for many people in their thirties or their forties, they just kind of get into a, a way of doing their preaching or their teaching or their communication. And they're like, I can't teach an old dog new tricks. And it just, they just plateau into their fifties, into their sixties, mm-hmm. the same kind of voice and sound. And I really love just your heart as a communication coach. Um, you can go to like seanisaacpalmer.com and, 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 and like actually learn more about ways that you can learn from Sean. But like this, this book is going to help you so that your congregation can see your progress. And I just think about the different stories that are in um, the pews and the chairs every Saturday and Sunday that I want to be better at my craft. I want to be better so that I can speak more of the heart of God into their life so that they can actually be shaped and formed more in the way of Christ. And again, I think this thinking, feeling, doing, and the way that you are just articulating this, um, man, this is going to be something. And I love that you said that adding to your quiver that can help you just communicate in a way. I love what John Maxwell says. He says, everyone communicates, but few connect. And this is a book that's going to help you connect and actually inspire and help your people be um, who they know inside they want to be. Um, but you're going to be able to draw that out. Sean, talk about the character side because you're you're teaching. You know, you went from 47 to 26 times. Yeah. But I mean, like you are you're coaching people. You, I feel like, you know, uh, for so many years, people I I'd go hang out with them and they'd be like, oh yeah, just uh just just got done hanging out with Sean and man, he spoke this into my life. Like just the amount of wisdom that I feel like you're constantly pouring out and pouring into or calling people in or calling people up as Monty Williams from the Phoenix Suns mm-hmm. often says. Like I, I just am encouraged by how much you are depositing into others. How do you keep your soul um, just fresh and renewed on the regular. Well, and this has been such a long journey, right? So I, I never presumed to know how I keep my soul fresh or <laughs> actually doing it. Um, like there are some very simple practices. Like um, weekly Sabbath has become huge for me. Um, so typically on Fridays, like I don't do anything. And that is really hard given my personality. Um, and man, it's so frustrating, but I know, like, I know my, if I sit down at my desk and say, oh, I'm going to return like three emails, I will look up and it'll be two hours later. So I just, I can't even do that. So uh, one is, is Sabbath, being really intentional about Sabbath. Um, another is walking. Like in the last year, I've actually two years, 
I was walking with my daughter yesterday and we realized like it's been two years when COVID started, we wanted to make sure that they got out of the house every day. And we started rehearsing what it was really like in the early days of COVID where no one was going anywhere and everything was shut down. And so we started walking every day. Um, and, you know, uh, our mutual friend, Tara Beth Leach, put me on to Mark Buchanan's book, I think God Walk or Walk with, I can't remember what it was. Um, and uh, the spiritual practice through the ages for Christians, for, for God followers has been walking. And um, like that time, it's an hour a day. Like I just walk for an hour a day. Um, and that time has been really refreshing and replenishing. It gives you a sense of, of, of uh, space. Like uh, when I drive around my neighborhood, it takes five seconds. Like when I walk around, it takes so much longer. I get a sense of who I, and I get to, I get to see the eyes of my other neighbors who are walking and the kids who are playing and the dogs. Um, and it reminds me that I am located with people. Um, so that is, that's been really helpful and morning reading. Like I wake up in the morning, I have coffee, sit in my big chair and every day yeah, I read through a gospel and my practice of reading through the gospel and people who have heard me on other podcasts, probably say, I'm tired of you saying this. It's like, I just read through until I feel like God gives me something. It's not, I'm reading, a, I'm going to read a chapter a day or I'm going to read a story a day. Uh, it may be two chapters. It may be five verses uh, just to keep me grounded like that. And then I have, you know, teenage daughters. So if you ever think that, you know, the, the key to humility in life is teenage daughters. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll you'll never get you know you'll never get to actually I, because I, I have a dog and I walk with the dog walked with me and I was with um, a spiritual director and I was complaining about my dog and he was telling me how much he liked the dog his dog cleaning up their poop in the backyard because that is so grounding for him. And his ego, like, you're the guy who cleans, like, no matter what you do, yep. you're the guy who cleans up poop, right? And I've tried to embrace that because, you know, years ago, I read Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, Pieces Every Step, and he talks about washing the dishes. And so really, for me, one of the big keys is to only be doing the thing that I'm doing. So not think about the future, not think about the past, but like, if I'm, if I'm on the exercise bike, that's the only thing I'm doing. When I'm walking, that's the only thing I'm doing. When I'm writing, that's the only thing I'm doing. Just to be present in that moment. Man, that's really, really good. I, I'd say, if, you know, to look back, we've, we're 40 some episodes in and Sabbath is definitely number one, but this is the first time anybody has mentioned walking. And I, I've, I'm a firm believer in that. I'm a three, two. My mantra is if I'm not winning, I'm sinning, you know, and, <laughs> and like, but like, I, you know, if I can hit a 10 K by 10 a 10 AM, like mm -hmm. I know it's going to be a good day because there's something in the, the in getting um, in, into my body and the embodiment mm -hmm. of just feeling and slowing and seeing like you're describing. But I also just love just how you articulated that. Like, be actually where you are, like do that one thing. I think for many of us are, it's just so easy to be in multiple places and to be thinking about the next meeting, the next event, the next, 
and we don't know how to be fully present. So I just love just the, those specific practices and adding a little bit to the, the picking up of the dog poo, like it, just the humility and that those are just, those are great practices to remind us um, and, and allow us to be shaped and formed in our character to be more like Christ. Sean, I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for your wisdom. I'm grateful for your, like your love for the church. Just one last thing, like help people uh, know where to find you and, and then we'll, we'll, we'll end this podcast. Yeah. The easiest place to find me is my website, seanisaacpalmer.com. And you'll find, you know, book resources there, how to connect with me about Enneagram stuff or speaking stuff. Um, I think there's actually a link. Like I, I sent out a sub stack a few times a week. Uh, for folks who want to receive that. So all of that's there and you can, it'll lead you through, you know, Facebook and Instagram and those other places too. So seanisaacpalmer.com is the place to go. Awesome. Well, hey friends, thank you so much for just joining us on the Crafting Character Podcast. And I want you to know that we are going to do a giveaway because I want this I want this book in your hands. And again, this podcast is coming out late April. The book comes out May 10th. You can go pre-order it. And pre-orders, I mean, I can say this because I'm, I'm, I know this, but I can say this for a friend. Um, pre-orders matter. And if you're listening to this podcast early May and the book hasn't hit and you can just go to Amazon or go to Target, go to Barnes and Noble and pre-order, it does a lot for how many people and how many eyes get on this book. And I just think that the most amount of eyes who are business leaders, speakers, communicators, principals who can get this book in their hands it's going to be better for the hearer, better for the congregation, better for the students, better for the people. So do that. And my friends, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Crafting Character Podcast. Sean Palmer, thank you for who you are and many blessings, my friend. Thanks for having me. Enjoyed it. Well, thanks so much again for tuning into the Crafting Character Podcast, friends. I want to do whatever I can to help you. And so if you ever want to reach out, my email is steve at stevebryancarter.com. Please check out Preaching Today. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Check out theascentleader.org. I mean, we got some transitions cohorts. If you've just been handed the baton, we got a church planning cohort that's being launched uh, with Andy Wood, who's like leading that whole charge. He's a senior pastor at, at uh, Echo Church in the Bay Area. And then obviously we've got some amazing craft and character preaching cohorts for any teaching pastor, any senior pastor, any emerging pastor or voice in the church like that you want to raise up, send them. This will be an amazing experience. And if your church wants to get involved in helping uh, some global issues, you got to check out fh.org. But everyone, my friends, I hope you have a great, great week. Much love, grace, and peace. This episode was brought to you in part by the Areopagus Podcast, two clergy of different traditions. Father Andrew Stephen Damick and Michael Landsman discuss encounters of historic Christianity with other religious traditions.
How do we engage with those who believe differently? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.